Welcome to episode 173 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Before we get started, just an apology to our viewers and listeners. I was in Ireland last week. I spent some time with Druid Software, and I also extended a few days. Uh, my lovely wife came with me to Ireland. We spent the weekend in uh, Dublin, and uh, we went to Temple Bar a few times. So I'm a little jet-lagged today, but how was your week last week, my friend? Uh, also quite busy, just wrapping up travel for the year. I also had COVID last week from travel from the week prior. But uh, as you can see, I'm already wearing some uh, Christmas-themed gear. My I friends over at OnePlus. Uh, nice. came, this came over yesterday. Lots of journalists had them. And I'm lucky enough to have one. Um, and I will be uh, talking more about them in some of my articles, uh, specifically around the OnePlus uh, Open, their foldable. But yeah, it's a cool sweater. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever wear it in public, but <laughs> it's like a walking... Christmas advertisement for OnePlus. I love it, man. Yeah, I was going to do ugly Christmas sweaters with my adult daughters and year and my wife. Waited to the last minute to do that, but um, I'll, I will be on the lookout next year. I think I want to find one with Elf. I love that movie. And it's awesome. But let's start off with my first topic. And I want to talk about Dinsh. And um, they recently lobbied the FCC around Spectrum holding policy. And the first question that came to my mind or thought that came to my mind is, is this hypocritical? We've talked about Dish in the past. They are the worst offenders when it comes to hoarding spectrum. But this was really targeted at low band spectrum and specifically Dish's concerns around T-Mobile amassing too much low band and uh, the concern that could be detrimental to um, competitors and, and regional carriers. And I just I find this really just hypocritical and ironic that DISH is lobbying the FCC around rules. Uh, and there's also some discussion around DNO. And it's no secret, DISH initially was going to pursue an IoT network. And, and that was something that I predicted that they should do so that they weren't going head to head with the more established incumbents like Verizon and, and AT&T. But that got scrapped. You and I have chronicled just the hit and miss with them, even on very recent podcasts as well. I'm sure you caught the news here, but I'd love to get your in input on what you think is going on here with Dish. I think Dish wants to maintain more or gain more control of low band spectrum. Yeah. Because they already, as far as I know, Dish is the second largest holder of 600 megahertz spectrum. It seems really weird for them to be the ones who complain about it. Yeah, I also think when you look at their whole deal with the 800 megahertz spectrum with T-Mobile, I feel like this is payback for that and the whole dispute for that. It just, my problem with Dish is, let's say there's a spectrum auction today. They can't afford it. They can't, they cannot afford to buy any spectrum. They can't afford, spectrum. they can't afford to deploy it, let yeah. alone purchase it. So they, they have fallen into the same trap that many other carriers have fallen into which is either you do not have enough spectrum or you have too much spectrum and not enough assets to deploy it. Yeah. Um, I think they've fallen into the latter rather than the former. And T-Mobile and Sprint were both in that camp as well. But when they merged, 
they became like a, a super entity, which was able to compete with AT&T and Verizon, which nobody else had been able to. So right. I think this should be focused on capital acquisition and building out its network and less about what other competitors are doing with their spec. I agree. Stop the whining and let pet your money. Well, probably not money where your mop is, but deploy what you got and quit the whining from my perspective. I just, it just continues to be just this, it's just like crybaby back and forth with them. But anyway, I don't want to make this an overly whip, whip the horse here and the dish horse, but yeah, it's a little ridiculous, but I'm glad to hear that you've got the same similar perspective on things like I do, but. With that, let's go to your first topic. I did not catch this, so you're going to have to uh, educate me a little bit, but Verizon and Lockheed Martin have entered a partnership around spatial computing utilizing 5G. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, so this came out a few days ago. It was announced by Lockheed Martin's Skunk Works, which is like their their leading edge engineering organization. Yeah. Uh, they do a lot of work for the U.S. government. A lot of the stuff they do there is... Um, extremely highly top secret and interestingly enough their logo is a skunk but they partnered with verizon on 5g streaming for what they call real-time visualization content on edge computing devices and it's interesting because they're calling it I think the actual terminology is sustainment applications and, and they're doing 5g streaming and basically the three core application or areas are 5G at the edge for latency critical uh, interactions of complex visualization applications such as AR, VR, or XR. Yeah. Then streaming of real-time complex 3D visualization content, which is like on a 3D tablet, like from Leia. And then streaming to edge compute devices, including tablets, mobile, and head-mounted displays and more. So basically, this is just an extension of getting compute further to the edge and using 5G to stream as much content as possible to the yeah. user, whether they have a headset or not. And a lot of this was originally like targeted for HoloLens, which now is a little bit less relevant as they, as that seems to wind down. There are still some opportunities, but this also coincides with what Verizon is trying to do with 5G.mil, which is part of Lockheed Martin. And then also they utilized HoloLite's streaming platform with Verizon's 5G Edge and AWS's wavelength over 5G's network. Verizon's 5G network to accomplish this. So there's a lot of little pieces and components here that are, are already commercial, commercial ready in use in other places around the world. But these are all companies that are already doing this stuff in other ways. And it's quite clear that this is a very close to being ready solution. The question yeah. is what software uh, will run on top of the HoloLite solution. But HoloLite is one of the companies out there that's very well known for doing this kind of streaming of, of high quality 3D visualization content. Like I mentioned, I didn't catch this news because I was probably flying back on a very long flight from Ireland, but obviously like companies like Lockheed Martin and McDonald Douglas and, and others, these defense contractors, they're using mixed reality in, in constructing, right? A lot of aircraft and, and that sort of thing. Is this sort of for their internal deployment? Or it sounds like this is a platform that could be used in various different industries. Um, was there any color on, on the nays around that? No, it, it sounds like they're specifically talking about this for military sustainment applications. Okay. So this is for the DOD, but it's, it's talking about 
augmented reality experience across multiple geolocations, streaming a large 3D CAD airspace in real time. There's very much what you're saying is one of the applications, Mm -hmm. um, but it sounds like that's not the only one and that they want to be able to service, use these for service and training within the Department of Defense and do it in a way that's secure and safe, but also technologically advanced. Okay. Yeah, that we've talked about the military applications with 5G and certainly training and, and that sort of thing could be one. There could be some theater applications as well and, and theaters of war and that sort of thing. Really interesting, man. I'll have to look, look that up and, and uh, read up on that a little bit more. But let's go to my second topic, and it's somewhat related to mixed reality, but it's taking things to the next level. And this is quite interesting. And I learned a little bit about this when I was in Tokyo, however long ago that was, I think it was about a month ago. And I actually visited NTT Docomo and learned a little bit about what they're doing with what they call their human augmentation platform. But today, actually, Docomo issued a press release around an, an announcement of the world's first technology that utilizes human augmentation for sharing taste perceptions between people. I think on one podcast, I talked about how I, I saw in a, in a sort of a blind scenario where um, sensors that were connected with cellular you know, connectivity, one person was able to actuate articulation of another person through sensors. And so this is taking it to the next level with taste. And so I just, I, I haven't talked about this and it just, it gets me thinking, what could the applications look like? with respect to doing this. The whole notion is, and again, this is a sort of a joint venture between Docomo, um, a lab of mathematical sciences in Tokyo, and a company called H2L Incorporated. And um, basically what it does is, I'm just going to paraphrase the press release. It basically comprises a sensing device that detects data on a person's perception of taste, leverages this human augmentation platform that shares that case by taking into account individual differences in sensitivity. And then there's a driving device component to this that reproduces the case for others that are connected. This is wild. And, and they did talk about how this could uh, take the metaverse to another level. And again, a lot of that is just, you know, visual, but with taste, it sounds pretty bizarre. You are the resident expert on mixed reality for our firm. What, what do you think? What could the, the possible applications be for this? And why is Docomo even involved in this? I think if you look at what's going on in the market today, it's pretty stale in terms of what's possible. It's a lot of the same stuff. So I think people are looking for ways to add immersion when it comes to mixed reality technologies, whether it's VR, AR, or XR or MR, any of the R's, right? I think that the key here is smell has already been done. Right. Sight is, is fundamental to the headset. Um, right. Hearing is built in also. So I think when you look at hearing, smell, and we're able to track your face, um, I feel like taste is definitely one of the things that you would like to be able to add because let's say you want to uh, train somebody how to cook something. Mm-hmm. What if you can tell them what it tastes like? So when they make it, they know what it's supposed to taste like. What if True. you watch a yeah. cooking show and you can actually taste what the people are making on the show? Mm-hmm. I think it's an idea of trying to create more immersion and yeah. maybe create the opportunity to have more people experience 
in the restaurant experience. Maybe there's a re- maybe there's a sushi chef in Japan that wants people to know what his sushi tastes like. Mm-hmm. So he can do a video of how he makes sushi and then he hands it to you and you taste it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think so, you just got me thinking. So I'm jet lagged, but I'm still thinking. I'm thinking about retail applications. What if you're on a mobile device and you're in a, a retail location and there's, I don't know, a new chocolate or something like that. And you're able to taste one of the chocolates and, and it's, and it's accurate. It would have to be very accurate, but that could be an activation that a retailer could use to drive sales. Yeah. And if you consider haptic feedback is already a thing, it's just, it's that one sense that we don't really have control over out of all of our senses with, when it comes to mixed reality or VR. So I feel like it's something that people are exploring. I think it's probably very far off in terms of actual accuracy. If you give people a sample, maybe they want to buy the whole product. Yeah, no, again, uh, yeah, I just, it just, it just came to me hey. in the haze of my uh, jet lag, but let's, let's move to your second topic. And you want to talk about China mobile shipments and the performance in October. Yes. One of the things that's been happening is that the smartphone market really struggled big time this year. And one of the biggest uh, bad parts of the market was actually the Chinese market. If you look in terms of market data, uh, the U.S. and Europe had rebounded from their dip, but China had not because economically China was not doing very well earlier this year. And now we're seeing that, that there's a, there was an increase of 20% year over year in October, which kicked total mobile shipments from January to October by 4.2% compared to last year. So it actually helped improve device shipment numbers for the full year by a good amount. And this is reported by the Chinese Ministry of Industry and Information Technology. So it's you know, an internal China number. It's not like someone is just guessing and throwing out a number based on their mark, you know, what they have access to data-wise. But again, it is China and the Chinese government. So you have to, you know, take it with a grain of salt in terms of data. I think we might see Q4 numbers though for the smartphone industry rebound in a real meaningful way, um, especially since Q4 tends to be a pretty good quarter for mobile shipments. And we have some new stuff coming in January already. And then a bunch of new Snapdragon 8 Gen 3 devices. Uh, OnePlus has the OnePlus 12 coming this month. They already launched in China and it's going to be available in the U.S. next month. So the, the wheels there are turning and it looks like China might have finally be a bright spot again, which it will be good for the whole industry. And, and maybe we'll see a, a pretty healthy Q4, maybe even a healthier 2024. Yeah, China, they're a barometer just given the population there, right? And, and this is, you're also our device expert, uh, mobile device expert within the firm. And typically we see, we see the new announcements from Apple and Samsung and OnePlus and others, um, in, in the October, November timeframe, typically, right? When is, when does Apple always do their big announcements at September? When November, they do the usually you can't get the device until the end of the month. So yeah, over November, December. So Q4 is really the only time that matters. Yeah. yeah. And the new iPhone 15 is really good. I have yeah. the Pro Max. MKB HD, Mar- Marquez Brownlee said, is his favorite phone of the year. It's easily in my top five. So they have a really good phone there. Huawei is starting to ship more units too. I, I think there's a lot of positivity for the industry. Um, and we'll probably see it in some companies' earnings. Yeah, for sure. Cool. 
Let's go to my third and final topic. I want to talk about SK Telecom. They're a mobile network operator in Korea that we've talked about quite extensively over the year, and we've written about them as well. But they're partnered with, I always mispronounce this French company. Thales. Thales. Yeah, see, I didn't say Thales, right? Thales. And they actually, they, when I was with Druid Software at their demo day on the 15th of December, Thales also presented. And I'm actually quite impressed with what they're doing because I've always thought of them as just the, the GPS company, but they do a lot more than that. They do a lot of networking. They do a lot of cellular. They do a lot of security. And so this, this announcement, this partnership is around boosting 5G security with quantum encryption and pay. And this has to do with standalone networks as well. The whole thought around this is to better protect subscribers' identity and privacy. And hey, man, that is something that is needed because we have seen tons of breaches all around the world where subscriber personal identifiable information is basically thwarted, it's hacked, it's stolen, it's held for ransomware. I don't want to recount the specific mobile network operators that have experienced this, but it, it's a huge issue. And, and so what was interesting as I dug into this, this announcement, the company's going to detail about how taking quantum cryptography and integrating that into some communication network authentication can actually improve the encryption schemes and the decryption schemes that are tied to subscribers. And they can do it in such a way that it protects user privacy from future quantum threats. And quantum networking, quantum computing, that's something that is, is developing very rapidly alongside um, generative AI. And so, hey, listen, as new technologies come out, it's typically a double-edged sword. It can improve resiliency and security, but at the same time, bad actors can use it to do just the opposite there. And so, hey, what? I, I think this is, this is pretty compelling stuff. There's, there's no doubt that 5G introduces some improved encryption over LTE, but, but more is going to be needed here because as, especially as 5G really birthed very large I, IoT networks with sensors and automation and that sort of thing, these networks are going to become expanded. They're going to become more porous and more is going to be needed to basically harden these networks. So. Not sure if you caught the news, but any thoughts before we move to your third and final? I did not catch the news, but I do know Thomas, and I do know that they're a defense contractor in Europe, and they yeah. do a lot of interesting stuff like GPS, and they do all kinds of other things. But yeah, I'm not really surprised they're involved here, but yeah, they're pretty global, and I find them to be more of like a communications company, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a very interesting, especially to see more and more companies moving towards uh, quantum encryption. Yeah, and and I've known them as a GPS company. They did a lot of the, the mapping, the very early mapping for a lot of consumer devices. And so I was quite impressed to learn more about them, like I mentioned in, in Bray when I was with Druid and and now with this announcement. So they're a company that I'm going to dig into a little bit further. Um, they're a perfect fit for my coverage areas as an analyst with our firm because I cover both networking and security. Someone to keep an eye on from my perspective. But Let's move to your third and final. And I did catch this news. And so I'll tell you what, man, the satellite space race continues. Um, we've talked on prior uh, podcasts about what T-Mobile and Starlink are doing and what AT&T and AST Space Mobile are doing. But now Rogers in Canada is partnering up with Link and they have achieved a milestone that you want to talk about. Yeah, so they are partnered together. I think some companies 
we've talked about like AST Space Mobile. They've been pretty active in this space. Link Mobile has been a little bit more on the sidelines compared to, let's say, a SpaceX with Starlink. But uh-huh. the good thing is that with Link, they are a 3GPP compliant partner. So they're from the beginning, they've been focused on being release 17 focused. And mm-hmm. what's really interesting is that they're also going public through a stack with Alex Rodriguez. They are, they're busy and it's going to be interesting to see how they partner with companies like Rogers. So Rogers is a Canadian operator and they're basically operating in Canada exclusively. And the reason why this is relevant because Canada is enormous and they're, most of the people in Canada live along the U.S.-Canadian border. Yeah. Um, the vast majority, I think, live within 100 miles of that border. So because of that, the rest of the country is essentially empty and has no service. Uh, and I think also, just to add to that, I believe 80% of the population of Canada are clustered in those seven or eight cities along the U.S. border as well, right? So they're like these just the great white north, it's just wide open, and it just doesn't make sense to invest in in towers and that sort of thing to provide the necessary infrastructure to make mobile right. communications. Right. And so Rogers is a Canadian operator, so it's in their best interest to be able to provide services to customers outside their most populous areas. So they're partnering with with Link Mobile to provide nine one one and wireless services. The phone call that they did as a test was on a Samsung S22, and it was done with Link's low Earth orbit satellites and Rogers National Wireless Spectrum. So using Rogers Spectrum for this, it was a phone call between the premier of Newfoundland and Labrador uh, province and a, and then member of Newfoundland and Labrador Search and Rescue Associations. It was a an actual call that was done successfully. And they Rogers said that they'll also launch satellite to mobile as a technology in 2024, starting with SMS texting, mass notifications, and machine-to-machine AI applications. Uh, and then we'll expand towards voice and data services in the future. But what's interesting is this is a another competitor in the space offering this service. And the, the, the thing is that Rogers is, if not the biggest carrier in, in Canada, it's one of the biggest, and it merged with... Um, Shaw, which is one of the biggest ones as well. There's that. I don't even know if that merger has been finalized yet, but mm. this is a big deal for, for coverage and capabilities. This would be like a Verizon or a AT&T in the U.S. signing with, with Link. So right. I know Link is, is still searching for partners and looking to sign deals. Obviously, we know Verizon is already partnered with Amazon and Project Sleeper. And then we have AT&T with AST Space Global and T-Mobile with SpaceX. So there's a lot of diversity out there. I think we're going to see a lot of consolidation, but I do think stuff like Qualcomm's Snapdragon satellite just doesn't really fit into this market space with, with companies like Link offering these very compliant solutions that pretty much just work out of the box on most smartphones. Yeah, that, that's when again leverage industry standards. Then 3GPP is the standard in cellular, you know, communication. And I do find it's interesting. So there's this, the the regions are aligning and doing these individual partnerships. But I will mention ANC Space Mobile. They have over, or I think last count, almost close to 40 MOUs with mobile network operators around the world. So it's interesting. There are all these you know smaller companies that are getting into the space. 
they're going to have to put birds in the air. And so it's interesting how we're seeing some, some sort of regional bifurcation going on here. But it's exciting times. And one of the things I'm expecting when I attend Mobile World Congress in Barcelona next year is to spend a lot of time with a lot of these, these low Earth orbit satellite middleware providers and service providers to really understand how, how they're going to be competitive because the space is growing pretty quickly and there's going to have to be clearly some differentiation. Some are very focused discreetly on IoT, narrowband IoT, and you and I have talked about that on prior podcasts, but it, it's going to be really interesting. So I'm looking forward to getting there. I know that you're not going to be there this year, so I'll have to do double duty for us, but, but it's exciting. It's an exciting time in satellite. It's going to become a critical element from my perspective, yeah. among others, and helping to bridge the digital divide. But my friend, it was a great podcast this week. I got through it, even with my amazing jet lag. We do want to let our viewers and listeners know that you and I plan to record our end of the year podcast uh, before the end of the year. And we're going to do a look back on the big news of 2023 and then do a look forward on what we expect 2024 20, you know, to, to unfold with. But with that, why don't you take us home? Absolutely. I look forward to uh, both the recap as well as the, the ability to talk about the future because I'm I'm more excited about the future the past and we can learn from it. Yeah. But I don't want to dwell too much, but yes, I do agree. And I'm excited for next week. I'm also dying in this sweater. It's very hot. And hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Willtown Tech and I'm at Anshel Song. We hope you have a great weekend. Also, Merry Christmas. And we'll be again next week. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and we'll be back before the new year. So see you guys soon.